and we are live with our 194th episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. We're excited to be here today. We've, uh, we're launching officially our 2023 shows. We've got a lot planned for this year. Uh, especially excited to have Frank on with us today. We'll do introductions here momentarily. Um, but uh, outside of that, uh, just a couple of housekeeping items. We are going to be at CactusCon in a couple of weeks. Um, if you're going to be there, uh, please come attend our workshop. We're going to be ripping apart some live code, doing our code review process, just in a workshop format, looking at a code base very similar to our After Dark episodes. Um, but you know, with a larger group, uh, should be fun time. As well as we will have an episode of the podcast that we are doing during the conference uh, on stage live. We'll see how that goes. We've done that a couple of times. And um, do have other training opportunities that are popping up uh, in, you know, at least beginning of the second quarter. Uh, not sure if we're going to have another one here in the first quarter, but there are a few other other conferences like KernelCon, some of the DEF CON training, some of the other things that will be coming along hopefully soon. And we'll be able to talk about it then. Um, Ken, anything else that I'm missing before we, we jump into introductions and actually, you know, officially introduce Frank to everyone? No, sir. You covered it well. Okay. Great. Um, so we were introduced to Frank. I think um, it was Leaf, uh, who's been on the podcast uh, previously, Leaf Dressler, who uh, introduced us to Frank, said we should probably have a talk. And uh, Frank is a security engineer at DBT Labs. I hope that is correct, Frank. Um, uh, and also has a newsletter that he uh that he posts on, it sounds like, uh, you know, every week or so, depending on what's going on, he's very much like us. Um, but uh, yeah, we've gone ahead and posted that there, frankly speaking, on Substack. Um, but uh, by way of introduction, Frank, uh, if you want to give us a short rundown on what your background is, how you got into security, and then currently what you're doing at DBT Labs before we, you know, I know we've got some questions for you, especially around, you know, your background in general. Um, but yeah, yeah, go ahead, Frank, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I've had like a very interesting security career, I would say. Um, I've been doing security for over 10 years. I got interested actually in undergrad when I think this was before all the big Home Depot, Fortune 500, like Target uh, kind of hacks. And so I said, hey, you know, this is interesting. Um, maybe I'll go and actually do a PhD in it. At the time, no one wanted to do PhDs in it. My advisor said, hey, I have a bunch of money. Um, no one wants to do security as PhD. Do you want to come and use some of that money by being my student? I said, cool. You know, I did my thesis at the intersection of what I described as distributed systems, cryptography, and cybersecurity, how to protect um, user data at lar in large web services. Um, so kind of like the, the, thing, the likes of like Facebook or Google or like anything that has a large amount of user data. It's like, hey, what are different protection mechanisms? Um, so that was pretty fun. During that, I actually did a little bit of like venture capital work. I didn't know I was doing venture capital work at the time, but um, I did a little bit of it. And so when I graduated, actually one of the one of my friends um, was starting the cybersecurity practice at Dell Technologies Capital. Um, he was like, hey, do you want to do venture capital for a little bit? And I said, not really. I'm really an engineer. Um, but he's like, why don't you try it out for a year? Year became year and a half. 
um, COVID hit, things got very busy um, because all these cybersecurity companies came out. Everyone had like cybersecurity issues because everything was going online and we had seen like unprecedented amount of like internet traffic essentially. Um, and you know, when things at scale, like there's always a weird tail end of things that happen. And so um, I think I did that. And then eventually I said, hey, look, I think I kind of want to get back into engineering. Um, and so I was like looking for high growth companies in like the data, crypto or, you know, e-commerce space, places where, you know, there's a large volume of data and kind of like just things going on. Um, so I thought, hey, there'd be a lot of interesting security issues here. Um, but I was like, and so I uh, ended up being the first security engineer at DBT Labs. And so cool. um, I helped grow up the security engineering team here. Um, I mainly, you know, we kind of cover everything uh, as a security engineering team, which is, I think, a little bit. I would say it's the modern approach to to security in a sense in the in the fact that like we own everything but IT security and compliance in the security engineering team. We're hoping to maybe split some of that out, but it, it is like we own like AppSec, InfraSec, process, anything that touches code and then compliance and like IT security, physical, like physical stuff like laptops, like we have a different team that handles it, but anything engineering and security related we handle outside of outside of compliance. So cool. Yeah, Ken. I was gonna. Yeah, I was. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I did want to. I did want to. Um, I did want to. There's a couple things like that, that you said that I that we, we wanted to dig into, but I think like uh, my first question is. Um, so your role with the, the the VC side of things was that uh, more just kind of vetting um, uh, emerging companies looking for funding or uh, doing research into uh, you know various company like. Basically, I'm curious more about your role there. And then there's a couple other things that I have questions about. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I was actually an investor. So I was like looking to actually oh. invest money, primarily early stage security companies. Um, but, you know, we were a small team, so we didn't have like people who would do research for us. So I did kind of like part of my job was doing the research, finding the companies, um, understanding the spaces. Of course, I had a slight advantage because... I wasn't, I didn't have, I wasn't starting from nothing, right? Like I knew the cybersecurity space. I knew about what was going on. But it was like, I think the funnest thing about it was that I got to like learn about how a lot of organizations were changing in the way they did security because we're looking for tools that were going to be used in the future. Like we're going to take a bet on the future market. Uh, so you're learning the landscape preemptively. That's that. That's pretty incredible, um, which actually, you know, kind of dovetails into something else. I've noticed as I was reading, because I was reading some of your content, I've noticed a, a theme where you you speak about um, a lot of these breaches. Uh, it's kind of interesting, right? Because there's all this, this, this really fancy, cool technology to prevent know, essentially breaches. But in the theme that I, I kind of extrapolated from from your writings are that these things aren't complicated, which we've talked about on this podcast before and totally agree with. But I'm, I'm yeah, I, I, and it sounds like a lot of the breaches you have, you have opinions there on how the majority of these breaches occur too. So those kind of things I'd love to dig into a little bit more like, you know, why is it the, 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 the more simple things that kind of go wrong and then like, you know, or at least your thoughts here in, in this, this uh, space. So uh, kind of digging yeah. in there. Yeah, I think um, it's, I think it's not, some of these aren't just my opinions. I think I'm following the data and right. I think yeah. sometimes for some reason, like, so I think to start, I think like security, like there's a lot of ways you can become more secure, but ultimately, you know, you have to decide, right? Um, 
a lot of teams or places have more problems than people, which is very common. This is a startup problem, even at big companies. It's, it's an under-resourcing problem. And so the goal of security is like, how do we reduce risk with what we have? And I think it's very strange uh, like in an under-resourced company or whatever, like people or a company that cares about efficiency that people are worried about the long tail of security issues when they haven't figured out the like, you know, the major security issues, right? And I said, for a lot of these breaches, it's pretty apparent if you dig down, it's always like an identity or access management issue. Um, because, you know, I think there's data floating around, um, there's different numbers, but approximately 80 to 85% of breaches are caused by leak credentials of some sort, or someone leaks their credentials. And just because it's the easiest way to get in, I think like, other than that, like maybe you're a big company with sophisticated attackers, but like, I would say like most companies, like I think most attackers want, are also playing a similar game, which is like high volume, low effort ways for, um, to kind of get into your system. Um, I think like they also are playing this game where it's like, hey, I'm going to spend this much effort and money to get in. Um, I want the profit to be much bigger, right? And so like, there's always like that kind of calculation in their mind. And I think I'm just, when I think about security, I'm like, hey, we just have to play the data. Like we're never going to fully win because it's all it takes is one, but we have to substantially lower the probability. So do you think it's a target of opportunity in the sense that, so like when you talk about leak credentials, like looking for, you know, not specifically for any one company's credentials, just in general, looking for leak credentials, or is it uh, more often, you know, it is a specific target, but it's just going for the low hanging fruit or maybe a mixture in between there. I'm unclear myself, to be honest. I think it's a mixture. I think when you talk to a lot of security teams, like they're very worried about access management. A lot of it is because they didn't have the story in the beginning, like, hey, how do we allow our employees to access like development infrastructures or like a lot of sites have, I mean, I think in the, even in the beginning, this is not uncommon. It's like, hey, like people have stuff um, that gets leaked from another hack. Um, credential stuffing is very popular. And I think like there's, I've talked to numerous amounts of people about this and it's like, hey, how, how do you stop credential stuffing? I was like, I don't actually know the attacker's goal. Some people's goal is to try to log in. And then like, if they don't succeed, they move. It, I think it, it, it depends. I think it's hard to like generalize about these things. But I do think like, you know, if you look at the types of attacks or the types of things, even like younger companies or startups experience, or even more uh, where more mature companies spend time on, like they all kind of tie down to like some, some type of like credential management. It's like, hey, people try and, customer credentials or people trying like to, you know, access people's laptops with malware to get credentials to get to development infrastructure. Like, I think like if you, I, I don't know, I haven't really done this exercise. It might be an interesting exercise to just go and say like, hey, like here are all the common attacks that people have actually observed in the wild. Like what are the root cause or like what is the root goal of these attacks? And I think like it, the data will get very close. And I think 80, 85% are caused by some for like way to retrieve credentials. I mean, granted, it's it's a little skewed. This example I'll present, but um, because, because it is this, it, you know, you have the same person with a, the same group of people, you know, doing this this research. Uh, specifically, I'll pull up the link here in a second. It's the latest Sam Curry kind of versus. I think it was uh, I gave it to you, Seth. It was like Sam Curry versus like the automotive industry. Uh, so it's the same group of people doing the same. So you could say that the, maybe the, the way they're going after these uh, different companies is, you know, the way that they they know to go after companies. So you could say it's skewed in that way. But anyways, I will say that when you go through it, 
it, they list out maybe like eight, nine, 10 examples of breaches or ways that they breach these companies. And to your point, I believe almost every single one of them was through, yeah, identity and access management flaws, like um, being able to register, like one of them was being able to register on some like kind of property someone forgot, uh, a, an account which gave them, you know, an, an LDAP account. And then they use that to log into the Git uh, account of the company. And then to your point again, there were uh, config files expo like exposing some some necessary credentials that they would need to escalate and uh, some other wiki documentation that gave them like you know information on the internal infrastructure and all that how to use those credentials so anyways like tangentially i think like uh, or sort of related uh, it's it's uh, it, it feels like that's accurate like uh, the 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 way to break in these days is through through iam i mean what's your take seth yeah, I, I mean that was that was going to be my question as well, right? Is um, like IAM seems to be the pathway that people are using, but I I'm also like questioning what the end goal is, right? Um, and we spend a lot of time focused on uh, you know very kind of specific or technology um, technology specific exploits, right? Like, um, especially in the security space, like we hear about these and it, it's never, and, and reading your, your blog, Frank, you, you call back to this as well, how it's kind of the basics that we suffer on when it comes to IAM, when it comes to, um, when it comes to credentials, like the things that people are harvesting or using to get in. Um, but I also like I also question whether or not somebody's actually a target and how big of a target they actually present um, based on where they sit, the amount of data that they have, like what it is they're actually trying to provide. Um, because we have an out like we typically have this. Uh, what, how do I want to say this? Like the budget for security is only so big in each organization. Right. And we want to put that towards the most critical piece of infrastructure, code, what have you to actually protect that organization and its users. And, and so like we, we have, we, we shift attention to these different exploits when that's not necessarily the best spend. Um, and I don't know if this is something that you've seen dealing with different VCs, dealing different with different companies on like where that, where that, uh, money is actually going to because you're saying the data represents that this is IAM that's credential stuffing and I'm wandering all over the place here sorry about that guys um, but the spend you know are you actually see seeing like in your organization that the spend goes towards protecting protecting those credentials or in the different firms that you're seeing at, or that you've dealt with in the past yeah I think so I think there's like a lot to unpack there. Um, I think one yeah, thing, sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's kind of a broader point here. I think you're right. It's like you know, you follow the money, and why is the money being allocated in a way that doesn't represent data? Um, and I think I maybe have a hot take or like a controversial opinion on that. But um, I think kind of a lot of it, you know, based on what you see in like my my blog, I I think it really depends on like who the security leader is and how he or she comes into an organization and establishes a tone, right? And I think it's very interesting because you can always just draw a line back to why are they doing this or why are, why, you know, they know that IAM is a major issue, but why are they focusing on the tail end of things? Is it the board trying to tell them to do it? Is it the other executive team is trying to tell them to do it? Like, what are the like organizational motivations? 
Uh, um, I think a lot of it comes down to security has always been and always, I think, will continue, maybe less so going forward um, around like delivering or like understanding their value in like an organization, right? Like, are we an engineering team? Uh, I, I'm talking about tech companies for now uh, to keep things simple. It's like at a tech company or a company that like values tech. Let's say it doesn't have to be a tech company. It could be like a company that's like wants to do digital transformation and have more focus on engineering. Fine. Uh, it's like is security like a, a cost center or are they kind of a, a value delivering revenue generating center, right? And I think historically, um, in the last twenty years, um, people have seen it as, hey, look, we are actually like you know people who just guzzle money, <laughs> right? And so we have to like prove why it's okay for us to guzzle this money. And I think it's just very boring to say, hey, you know. It just feels very boring to say, hey, we're going to spend like 85% of our like money or budget on IAM or like Okta or whatever, single sign-on um, access, like higher staff that like manages like access control. It just, it just seems like, hey, like then you get into the sense where you're focused on one thing and people say, hey, you've got the story right. Like, can you reduce costs? And it's like, no, we, we shouldn't reduce costs here. Like, what are we going to do with extra money? Um, and at the same time, it's like, hey, is this budget going to increase? like how do we ask for more budget as we ask for more budget we have more influence and like that's a very like cost center related thoughts like kind of like you know what you think as at a company like i don't know to pick another cost operation function like legal or marketing or something like that where it's just like hey like we're we have to like always constantly think about value where it's like you know when you go to engineering like no one really questions cloud spend right and it's like that's like the most amazing shift that like has happened between IT to DevOps is like suddenly IT was like this cost center and then suddenly it became, hey, like we have DevOps engineers now. Great. Like cloud spend, go for it. Like, great. Just like we're going to make the gross margins like and figure those out. But like, yeah, just spend as much money as long as like you're generating revenue. That's great. And it's like, it's just like a mental shift in the organization, which I think is like very interesting. I think security is going through this, but there's a lot of this legacy thought. So I think like that's why it's you know, kind of that's an indirect way of answering the question. I think like security is trying to figure out how to deliver value and it's, yeah. like, very tough. So, so, so I want to go back to something that you said, right? Like, um, so you said something about where, like what the organizational drivers are. So do you think that um, the organization, like those drivers that it comes from their first security hire, or is it somewhere else in the organization? I think it's very telling who they want to hire as a first security hire. And I think like if, if I were a leader or I were kind of at a company, I think it's very important to understand like who your first security hire is and what drove that hire. And I think you'll see an interesting mix actually, uh, surprisingly, especially at startups, tech or not tech, uh, a lot of times like the first security, I, I'm seeing more and more of the first people kind of come and ask me and I say, I'm seeing more and more that the security engineer is, is the first security hire, which is actually like pretty surprising to me. A lot of times um, I think that that's been a trend that's happened only in the last five years. Um, I would say before in the last 10 years, it's always been the compliance hire, right? Yeah. So it's like, Hey, I need SOC 2. I need ISO, um, especially for enterprise companies, or you need like the IT security hires. Like, Hey, I need to secure my laptop. Like, do you have some knowledge around AWS stuff? Can you like, not to minimize their work, but can you go and look at all these offerings, like turn some stuff on in, in the AWS console? Um, and so that's been the thing. And I think a lot of that sets the tone because 
you know, if I'm a CTO or call it VP of engineering or even like COO, whoever's hiring this person, um, they're, they're going to, you know, it makes sense to, to lean on this person to drive like the future of the security org. And so yeah. I think the first hire sets the tone. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's what that, you know, you, I kind of led you straight into that, but that like, I definitely agree with that. Right. Like I can, I can usually tell from a consulting perspective when I start dealing with an organization and they come to me who leads security in that org, right. The, the relationship with that security has with engineering, like software engineering in general um, is very dependent on where that first security hire happened. If it came from the the engineering team, like a software developer who had a security background, they they'll be close. Like we have really good, you know, really good experiences with those organizations. If it was compliance or an IT hire that didn't really understand the engineering process, then it becomes very antagonistic. And in the past, I mean, I think about my experience coming up through through kind of these traditional like Fortune 500 companies, banking and other, I like security always came out of IT and firewalls and like network security was the thing. And product security was always an afterthought or security engineering was kind of this afterthought got pulled un- up underneath it. And there's always been this antagonism that exists. Um, and so I like, I, I appreciate the recommendation there on thinking through what that security needs to look like for an organization, um, since it is, I, I mean, it is fairly critical in getting that right. So what would you recommend that an organization do, right? Like, so you've, you've got a small org, SOC 2 type 2, or SOC 2 is the first, you know, real compliance need or security need that they've run into. Um, they've developed some security tools, like in their application in the past, but uh, where do you go? how do you find that first security hire that makes sense for one of your startups um, in the industry at large? Like, what do you look towards? Where do you go? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I, I mean, I think I'm going to give you um, an answer that's maybe not satisfying, um, which is that. That's fine. Yeah. I think, I think we're still trying to figure out what, what is right. <laughs> as like, just as a, as a community, as kind of like security folks, there's a lot of infosec folks, there's a lot of like security engineer, the idea of a security engineer is actually relatively new. Um, like, I think for a long time, this is just my personal opinion, I think for a long time, people just thought there was not enough to do for a security engineer, <laughs> which nothing could be like further from the truth. Um, yeah. But they were like, hey, like, you know, all of our engineers can do a little bit of security. Like, why do we like, why do we take, what happens when we take that cognitive load or mental load off of them? Uh, you know, it just, does, it's not very concrete. Um, and I would say a lot of what I see from the first hire is like, what kind of security org do you want to have? And I think sometimes the answer is they don't have a choice. <laughs> uh, in a sense that like, from the top, someone's like, hey, you need to hire a security person. Uh, you know, compliance is our first goal, right? Or someone else is like, hey, like our platform is growing so fast. We need a secu- dedicated security engineer or, or our engineers, one, can't build features anymore because they're just so busy spending time on security or they're just going to quit. So I think you learn a lot about an org based on how they have the conversation with the first like potential security hire um, in the sense that like, if, it, if it is 
the first security you'd hire is a security engineer. Um, I think that security engineer is saying like, hey, I we should hire a compliance person in addition to me, right? And if it's a compliance person, you should say like, hey, what is your goal here, right? Is it just, you want me to do compliance or at some point do you need to like improve security posture? But I think a lot of it is like driven by, I think many organizations by the time they hire security is a very reactive situation. It's just like compliance or like we face an engineering problem. Like our engineers like cannot do this anymore, right? And I think- yeah. There's no, there's no one thing. I wish there was one thing, but I think a lot because like companies develop in different ways. Yeah. Yep. Or through breaches. Yeah. Yeah. yeah unfortunately. Um. I do you mind? Uh, I have one question regarding. Uh. Uh. So, you know, on on the topic of IAM, because I know you have opinions here. Uh, we have sa- very savvy viewers, but you know, maybe not uh, all of them are IAM ex- experts, and so. <clears throat> Maybe the argument could be made. Well, what if you? What, what if, like you know, you can you can have like access to Amazon or excuse me, AWS, Azure, whatever. Um, your different systems all kind of running through a centralized SSO like Okta, for example. And uh, you know, is 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 that good enough? Just like you know, throw an Okta on it or something. Uh, you know, again, obviously. You, the three of us and a lot of our viewers kind of know differently, but I'd like to kind of explore that a little bit with you, if you don't mind, just sort of like uh, that that thought there. Can I just wire things up to Okta and call it a day and, and we're good? And if yeah, not, I why? Think, yeah, I think there are a couple of things here. Um, I think one, um, there's like, I think of access probably in kind of like three pieces maybe maybe there's more but i can think of three so there's like customer like if you're you're a customer facing product there's customer authentication so like that can't be solved by octa like that's a you know i am system i mean it could be solved by octa if you consider auth zero to be part of octa but it's, it's a developer thing it's like part of the platform so like people accessing your platform so i would say that's one piece and i think internally there's like two pieces one is like depending on how companies are set up you know access to SaaS apps um, via SSO, and then access to the development infrastructure. I consider those to be a little bit different, and I'll kind of explain why. And then I think third, if you have any internal apps, like how do we access those internal apps, right? Um, but I think a lot of companies have like gone towards SaaS apps. Um, and so, again, I think this is another organizational thing where I, why I split like access to like developer infrastructure, what I mean, databases, Kubernetes, um, kind of like RDP for, for people who still use Windows um, and then kind of like certain types of, you know, developer applications called like AWS console, Argo, uh, Datadog, kind of those types of things. And then there's like the other IT apps like payroll, blah, 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 like, you know, um, ADP, Workday, kind of that stuff. Um, and I think that stuff can be solved with Okta. That's perfectly fine. Like the general SaaS apps. I think developer infrastructure gets complicated. I think one, for like for a couple of reasons, I think the, the first reason um, is that IT doesn't really know what permissions developers need. So there's kind of this like inconsistency thing. It's like, hey, I create these groups, but like Okta, you know, Okta and what we know it, they have other capabilities. Obviously, um, they have this thing called I think like advanced server access that kind of does some of this stuff. Uh, I, and there are other products um, out there like Teleport, StrongDM, and Bastion Zero that can have that capability. I mean, Okta is a big company now, but I think they, it's a separate product than their main like SSO product. It's because like, that's kind of like an all or nothing thing. It's like, hey, I access this. 
I don't. And then you set permissions like in AWS or whatever. Right. And right, so, yeah. um, um, and I think like that's hard because a lot of times it is trying to grant access through Okta, which is ultimately, I think it is the main owner. I don't think any develop, like, I don't think engineering ops wants to own Okta because it involves orgs outside of engineering. Uh, but then there's all this engineering infrastructure, like databases with like different users and all this, there's all this granular access, like, hey, maybe I want to read only user, read write user, kind of all this stuff. And it's just like very complicated to, I think Okta doesn't sufficiently do this. Like you can do some stuff with groups, but then there's just, then you go back to this other issue. It's like, hey, like IT is going to try to like assign access. It's like, okay, like how do they know what to do? Like they're going to come and ask engineering. It's like, okay, why does it, like there's an efficiency problem. like, why doesn't engineering just control this, right? Because they know what to do. It makes sense. It should be kind of self-regulating. Like, why create like additional operational burden, right? And I think like that's why like I think once you start throwing Okta, it's a very good step um, because it makes onboarding, offboarding easier. But then you realize like you actually need more granular access to like different parts of the infrastructure. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I know we. Uh, sorry. I, uh, so I'm at GitHub right now, um, uh, uh, and we have a open sourced and entitlements. Uh, we talked about on the podcast before, um, but it, it speaks to why I bring it up is it speaks to a very um, exactly what you're talking about. Uh, it's like, yeah, we can authenticate through Okta. That's great, but it gets complex into like, yeah, what is what is, and especially at scale. And especially with speed, then it becomes very problematic to figure out like, yeah, what exactly, uh, and if you, I don't know if you've seen entitlements, but basically it's, it, it, it's a PR pull request based system where someone has to, you know, go and approve that's in your management chain, your access and all that stuff. But the, the, the reason for that is that otherwise, like to your point, going through IT to like, and then all the, the the jumping through all the hoops to figure out like, hey, is that person actually supposed to have access to this? And then again, doing that at scale, and then doing it to the amount of systems that you you you're going to need access to. It's it's just unbelievably complex. Um, so yeah, I mean that's you know, but I think that there's always in these cases, uh, people tend to say like, well, what can we buy that just like solves this problem for us? And then it ends up being, and this is true for so many things, I feel like anyways. And then it's just like, well, we didn't really expect the cost of now managing, you know, all that's, we, we have a solution in place, but now there's all these other things that we have to do. We didn't, didn't expect, and now there's a personnel cost to it and a, a, t a level of effort. So, um, but yeah, thank, thanks for your opinion there. Cause I was, I was pretty curious, like, cause you know, you, you've done quite a, quite a bit of homework in, in this space and uh, yeah, a good person to ask on this uh, topic. Um, yeah. Seth, my, my question to you is we're, we're 37 minutes into the, the, the hour. Should we move on to the, uh, machine learning AI space yeah. now? <laughs> let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. Right. Uh, I mean, I, I think we could talk about entitlements more and, you know, all of that, but, uh, let's, let's switch gears a little bit, Frank, uh, with the, I mean, with the recent release of the chat GPT, uh, AI system, right? Um, all the press that it's gotten over the last, you know, what month or so, month to two months, however long it's been out, feels like it's been a while. But um, I want to know what your take is there as far as ChatGPT and specifically around security and AI and machine learning, right? Like, where do you see security slotting in 
And how do you see it using a system like ChatGPT? Like we've got articles on malware that's coming out of ChatGPT um, and that being used by script kitties, but you know, specifically for small organizations, how can they utilize that to improve security? Yeah, I think um, I'm gonna make a pretty bold statement. I think like ChatGPT is probably the most interesting technological innovation I've seen in the last decade. Um, I think just like full stop. Uh, I think it's very impressive what they've done. It's amazing. It's like, I think it's important that we don't minimize it. I think a lot of people are saying, hey, like, you know, there's a lot of hype. It's a marketing tool. But um, I, I think it's it's very, it's very impressive. I think if you, you know, I have a lot of friends from from MIT where I did my PhD. We They do AI ML research and I've talked to them and I've said, wow, like they've said, hey, look, like this is pretty impressive. It's it's hard. I mean, it seems like, you know, when you see the result, you're kind of like, oh, okay, this is cool. I can chat with this thing. Chat things have been around. It's like an improvement, but like the technology yeah. and research that's required to get there, super, super hard, takes a lot of research. Um, and I think like kudos to them, like they were willing to take that big bet, spend a lot of money and effort to get there and like super impressive. Like I don't, I, I can't say it enough. Um, and they've kind of just shown like what level of what what level we can take AI to. It's kind of entered this new level in a sense, right? And um, a lot of people, I think the most, the best analogy I can compare it to is like when the internet came out. Initially it was like, oh, like two people can like talk to each other, like not in the same room. Um, they can kind of go over some like telephone line at that point. It's like, okay, great. And it's like, and then it evolved a little bit to be like, okay, instead of transferring messages, we can kind of like layer on top. And I think we're just starting out on kind of seeing what it can do. Um, and I think it's pretty amazing. I, I can't even start to think about the security implications. I think so many people are like starting to see kind of like ways it can be used maliciously. And it's like the same thing with the internet. I think when the internet started, like people didn't really know what malware was, right? You know, people were like, hey, we didn't have security. Like, and then, you know, when malware came out, it became about like, hey, like security is about antivirus and it's about like network security. And then I think we evolved and now we're like, hey, security is like more than that. There's like access management. I, I you know, kind of layers on Pricey, top of each other. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg. I think, I think we're seeing like, hey, people use it to cheat. Like there's definitely abuse related issues, right? Like there's, People are abusing it. People are using it to find like, you know, do using it. There's, I think, a malicious usage. And like, what does it mean for like security more broadly? Um, I think it's like, hey, can they use, like, is there things that need to be built into it? Or do people need to start having mechanisms in their own infrastructure or in their own organization to like manage chat GPT, right? And I don't know the answer to that. I think we're too early, right? It's like, in some way, for example, like the way I think about it, it's like when Snowflake and all, because I work in the data space, um, when Snowflake came out, like they had basic database permissions, but now like it's data, it's a data cloud, right? And it's, so it made it easier for a lot of people to like access this data warehouse. And it's like, hey, okay, now people might query for sensitive things. Okay, so like whose job is it to present, protect this query? Like Snowflake can say, that's actually your, your company's job. It's not our job, right? Like our job is like, we just, have this capability. I think there's going to be a lot of these questions, like whose job is it? And like to protect or like prevent abuse. Right. Um, and it's, it's unclear. I don't know what people will demand. Um, uh, I think 
there, there, maybe that's like not a market, but that might be a thing that happens. It's like, hey, like no one takes responsibility. Like a third party tool has to come out to like deal with this, right? Um, yeah. And so I think we're just really starting to like think about it. And I think it's one of those things where it's like you can speculate, but you don't know until you start seeing more data. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah we're still going through. I'd argue massive, you know, shifts in in internet regulation in general. And then you you kind of think about AI and presumably to your, like, I, I think this is sort of kind of where you're hinting at, or at least I, it's where it led me down was some regulate form of regulation and AI um, at, at some point. But again, we're so far behind. I feel like anyway, still with regulations in the, the uh, internet space um, and still growing so much just there. It's like, you know, as, I don't know. Our governments are always like slow to slow behind these technologies. But um, one interesting thing I, I was I was thinking about Seth with uh, chat GPD was like um, using it for like uh, code remediation, um, automated code mm -hmm. remediation. So, uh, you know, the obvious use case. Yeah, yeah I know you're like, ah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but not in specific fixes to begin with, but more in just general recommendations. Uh, obviously, it's yeah. going to help tune identification of vulnerabilities, but I think from a remediation um, standpoint uh, with developers, that could get pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm curious, do you all have some thoughts? Uh, yeah, on, on usage. Yeah, like, and it, I mean, it, specifically, that was, you know, that was, I, I pulled out that article on Ars Technica as well about how, you know, they basically are saying chat GPT is enabling script kitties to write that functional malware. Um, having seen the code that comes out of chat GPT, um, it's, it's a little bit of a stretch to say it's fully functional, that it's fully going to do everything that, you know, a modern framework would or modern development would expect. Um, but it's still in early stages to your, to your point, Frank, right? Like it's, we don't know what's going to happen there. And then I also have questions, right? Like this also flips to the whole co-pilot discussion that's going on. Right, Ken, um, and I know that there's that lawsuit about what, like, who actually owns that code? Where did those examples come from? Um, like, we have like ownership and compliance and legal issues that are going on with some of that. And I'm I'm sure Chat GPT is going to fall under that at some point as well, but because government and lawyers haven't figured out how to deal with it. Um, so yeah, yeah there's I there's know. also yeah. I don't know if you saw there's a school. That I uh, I have to look up where I saw this, but uh, there was there's a school that had like banned Chat GPT. I think on uh, like school resources, computers, and, and whatnot. Obviously, it doesn't solve like kids going home and using it or on their mobile devices. But it like literally cheating has become with Chat GPT a real concern to the point where it was banned. Um, and I'll I'll find a reference for that here while while we continue to talk. Yeah. Uh, anyways, adding to what you said yesterday. It's like, I think it's the New York's New York or New York City, like public school system bandit. I read, I think I read yes. this yesterday or the day before where they, they were worried that people were going to write essays um, with this, which I think is kind of a little bit different, right? Than like writing code because like your code runs or it doesn't like an essay, not to like minimize essays, but it's just like, hey, write an essay. Like there could be some bad writing and there could be some good writing, but like for code, like it runs or it doesn't, or like it does what it says yeah. or it doesn't. It, it's or, I mean, obviously, with some stuff, it's like, hey, runs in certain cases, but not fine, right? Uh, but I think it, it, it is very interesting. I, I, I think um, 
I think for it to write code and for people to write code, I, I think it will make, I mean, this is true of any tools, I think, not to sound old or whatever. I think, you know, remember we've all, it seems like we've all been in the industry, like software engineering for a while. Like remember back in the day, like the easiest way to debug was print line, right? And now we have all these really advanced <laughs> debugging tools and, you know, um, like when, when, even when, you know, students graduate with computer science degrees, like debugging, they have all these like really sophisticated tools for breakpoint to get all the stage. And before it was like, man, I got to write all these like print lines in very specific places and go through logs. And now there's like all these things that analyze logs for you. And I think it's just like, will make developers lives a little bit easier. Um, but I think like you still need to know what to do, right? Like, for example, so I think that's kind of like a, a big part of it. Um, but I do think it will like make certain tasks like a little bit easier, right? Like I think this idea of stack overflow is like, oh scary. yeah, it's just like, I mean, Google existed, but like stack overflow was not well populated when I was like in school. It was like, if I needed to figure out something like that was, that was kind of like, you know, Sorry. that was kind of a mistake. <laughs> I'm getting attacked by my dog. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. like the dog oh, is very goodness. interested in our conversation about coding. <laughs> like. About coding. Yeah. Because you can get like 90% of the way there with, uh, with the content, it seems like anyways, and then just kind of. Yeah, tune up as as needed. Um, so it's, if you, I guess what I'm saying is, it feels like another way to kind of like do some of that heavy heavy lifting um, and offloading some of that, I guess, cognitive load. And maybe that's a great thing because it could allow you to to get to the meat of what you know what you're really interested in, and you know what you what value you you uh, you provide. But I yeah, I mean, you know, it's. I, I'm not an expert. So for me, it seems like it does like, uh, yeah, there's, there's a little ways to go, but this, this to date has felt like a huge leap forward. So any basically enhancements become, uh, how do I say it? It's like now that it's reached the velocity that it has any incremental updates feel like it's going to have exponential benefits. Um, yeah, just, greater and greater uh, benefits uh, now that we've reached this point. But again, I'm not an expert. So that's why, that's why we have you here. <laughs> well, I, yeah, for me, it's a question of, uh, you know, how far can you use something like AI and ML to enhance your, like enhance your development process, enhance your security process. Um, right. Like if, if it'll handle that 90% to Ken's point, um, it means that my effort as a security engineer or as a security consultant can be focused on the very specific things that that uh, an AI or machine learning cannot recognize, right? Like it, in the course, we always talk about, you know, hey, there's those vulnerabilities that are very easy for an automated system to identify, like input, you know, you know, and unvalidated input going to SQL injection or cross-site scripting, you know, some of those like vulnerabilities are pretty easy to catch or configuration from a machine perspective. Um, I wonder how much it'll push into these other spaces like IAM, like uh, authorization matrices, um, what data is being accessed and whether or not they should have permissions into it, right? Is that something that we can teach an AI to recognize in a in an automated fashion, you know, somehow do that in order to flip to business logic or other problems that may exist in code. 
in code. Um, and that, and, and Frank, to that, to that point, is that something, are you seeing expanses into other areas? I mean, obviously chat GPT is this huge jump forward. Like what, what is your background there? Like what have you dealt with on the AI space specifically around security that, you know, excites you? Yeah, I think whenever I think about AI and machine learning, I think those are terms that, I mean, if you talk to anyone who kind of is an expert in the space, I think they're just fancy marketing terms, almost like security is like what we say in security. There's a lot of fancy marketing terms like zero trust or whatever. I'm sure we've all yeah. run across something. And I think for the, for when I talk to my friends who, who do AI and ML for a living, they said a lot of it is, you think of this as like statistics and probability, right? And so um, a lot of it is, a lot of the main applications there is trying to like, it's a different form of like automation um, and how do we, and the kind of, it's an automation where there's a feedback loop and it's a tight feedback loop, right? It's just like, yeah. Hey, we do this thing. We improve this process. Like it, it feels almost like the initial things about what it does and what people have shown it does. If we think of it a, a, very, a very, at the core is that it improves like operation it improves like its ability to process lots of information very fast um, and actually give us like not great risk, like in this case, like better and better results, not perfect results, but like pretty good results so that like the human can go work on something that like they have, they're better suited to do, which is problem solving, right? Like I think like yeah. none of our, you know, the way I think about it is like none of us are excited about sitting in a sock and looking through logs, right? I mean, maybe, but like, no, I don't think like that is like a good use of like a security person, right? Uh, in a sense, uh, maybe a good learning experience, but not a good security person. So I think like a lot of these stuff, so it's like when we have more and more information, like how can we process that faster so that like the human can kind of like give human better guidance. It's almost like, you know, in an organization, it's like, I almost feel like the executive is like, hey, has a bunch of people who work for him or her. And it's like, they're on the ground figuring stuff out and giving them context. And then like they're combining context and figuring it out. I think like, we're going to see more of like AI ML do that for security. It's like, Hey, give more and more signals. And then like, hopefully like the security person can make better judgments as a result, or like we can improve operations in general so they can use their cognitive load somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. That may, I, I mean, that makes sense to me, right? Like it, I do feel like there's a lot of uh, confusion in the marketplace around what AI is and what ML is, right? Like what is machine learning? What is, what is artificial intelligence? How is it used? Um, and I mean, we're our own worst enemy when it comes to that, because like, you know, somebody says they have machine learning. We don't ask, Oh, what does that actually mean? Like, what is it that your machine learning does for you? Or what does your artificial intelligence do for you in the context of logs, right? in the context of, you know, security events, like whatever it happens to be, we don't necessarily ask them. And especially when it comes to code, right? Like, uh, you know, anytime that you ask ChatGPT to generate code, um, yes, it's generating code, but it's pulling it from somewhere, right? Um, like the only reason it knows how to code something is because it's seen an example of that. And it, you know, it's going out on the internet, just like you are going out on the internet, pulling that back and then maybe reframing it to try and answer the question that you've asked it, which is great. Um, but again, this is why it only gets us 80 to 90% of the way there because we know what exists out there 
on Stack Overflow in the different developer forums, right? And I like so I'm I'm starting to question where it's getting its its information, and then also on top of that, how it's framing that information and deciding what to present to the user, because that's where that that's what's going to drive us further forward and garbage in, garbage out. It's a computer, it's a computer at some level. And that's what most AI and machine learning has been in the past. So yeah. I'm not sure if I have I mean, a I question guess I, there. Yeah. I, 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 you, you sparked a question for me, which is really like, so, okay. For, for that example, we know like one of the, one of the, um, so let's talk about barriers for, for next steps in the evolution of AI. So, uh, you know, one you just talked about was, well, the data, first of all, it needs a massive amount of data, right, to, 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 to be trained and, and to do what it needs to do. Um, but also, like, the, the, the data itself is, is uh, a question mark, I, I, I guess. Um, again, not an expert, but I, I'm curious what major barriers are left to be solved in AI um, that, you know, basically, if those are solved, it... In an, it's a huge evolutionary jump for AI. I guess that's the, the question I'm, I'm trying to, uh, yeah, ask here. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I think for, for a long time, I think we, we had like a problems like, hey, how, you know, whatever they called the AI winter. It's like we weren't sure AI actually worked. And it turned out what we lacked was computation power. Um, and now we have computation power. Uh, it seems like we can do a lot of cool things. Um, I think the question is, I think what Seth said initially is that, um, how do we make sure the data is good, right? I mean, that requires a, I think we'll struggle a lot with this. I don't know if it's a technical or a human question. It's like, you know, obviously the data, someone's inputting the data in, there's a human. Um, how do we detect biases? Like, are these the right things to do? And I, there's a lot of these problems, which no, no longer are clear to me if they're technical. And I, I'm sure like, some of them aren't. Um, I think it's it's uh, it would be naive to think all problems in AI are technical. Um, and I think there's definitely some non-technical issues we have to solve. I think this conversational thing is very interesting. I think computer vision works very well. And I think um, I think the the question becomes like, how do we? I I I don't know what the next step will be. Um, to be honest, uh, I think that's kind of my long way of saying it because we haven't quite figured out the use cases. Um, it's like kind of, you know, the, the best analogy when I started was like the internet. It's like when the internet came out, um, the internet was part of a strategy, for example, right? And so, um, and people learned that really quick, like having a e-commerce website was not sufficient to be like, hey, internet is my strategy. And we learned that in the 2000s. It's like, hey, we need like an engineering team, a product, DevOps, like then we had mobile devices that use like 5G now and so AI is kind of like, it's not just about like, hey, let's apply AI, right? It's just like, what is our AI strategy? Like, what do we use it for? What else do we need? I think we haven't quite figured that out. So it's like, what other technology do we need to develop, right? Like when the internet came out, I I, don't, I think I'm 100% sure actually that no one was like, hey, we need the cloud. Like we need a public cloud, yeah. right? Like no one said that. It was just like, oh man, that's like the next evolution of like internet is cloud. And no one said, oh, the next evolution is like, having access on mobile phones, right? And so I think for like AI, it's just like, hey, what is like the next innovation or product that like is really like pretty useful? And I think like that's up to us to determine like as a society in some way or 
or another, right? It's just like right now, I think it's just a cool technology like the internet that people are using. It's like it's like not how we maybe it's how we monetize it, but like how do we use it to like make things better? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, uh, Seth, Seth always says with blockchain, he always says it's a solution in, in search of a problem, and it sounds like that's kind of what you're hinting at here is that it's a solution, yeah. but it, it needs a clear-cut problem and objective to solve that uh, would push it forward farther. Um, that, anyways, that sounds like that's what you're saying. But yeah, not, definitely create right. new developments, right? It's just like, hey, like, how do we know what things we need if we don't know what the problem is, <laughs> right? To Like the problem tries. And sometimes we don't know. Like we never, no one knew that mobile was a problem, right? Like no one is like, hey, we definitely need a device that we can carry around that has the internet. Like no one ever thought like that was going to be a problem. And it's like, I think we'll make these discoveries along the way. And as a result, like I think innovation will happen there. Um, and then I think things will kind of come out of it. Right. I think like that was kind of this evolution of like web apps and stuff like that made it really cool. Seth, you know what? I think I said blockchain I meant web three, by the way, <laughs> sorry, whatever. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, 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 it's all again under that like confusion yeah. of what people think is uh you know what what a term actually represents um yeah yeah no it's I, very I mean, interesting with, there's almost some philosophical oh sorry yeah yeah there is i, I mean I, like i go back to okay yeah we're going to use we know we know we're going to use ai in the future but you know as of right now ai can't drive a car right like automated driving it's been basically dropped because it's not quite there yet. We don't have the the, um, the the proper power to actually do that or the proper algorithms to to run it. But that's something that a human does naturally at you know whatever sixteen eighteen like you know learning to recognize those risks and objects and everything else that's going into it. Eventually, AI will get to that point. And so I think you know to your friend to your point, Frank, that's going to be a discussion that we have is where we want to see that fit into, into society at large, right? You know, does it make sense for AI to make certain decisions or not? What are the rules around that? What are the ethical boundaries? Um, you know, when we start to introduce the bias that like the implicit bias that we all have as humans because of the way that we were raised because of where we live, right? Like does that, does that make sense to translate into an AI or not? Right. Like what, what are the implications of that? We just don't know. Right. I, I, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch on the flip side of that. Like there's, I see so many use cases there for AI in things like, you know, recognition of security events um, things that do take a human out of the the processing that they're bad at, um, that it's hard to, or I would say, you know, we ignore it at our own detriment. Right? Um, you're gonna what? You're gonna be using it at some point. It's probably better to get to recognize what the weaknesses are and use it in places that make sense as you move forward, rather than just dropping it by the wayside. Yeah. Yeah. So you think it's interesting I, I, that we we compare AI to to really how the the human brain works, but yet we mm-hmm. we still don't really understand how the human brain works. <laughs> yeah. I just I don't know. It just seems weird to me. You know, we're always comparing it to us, but it's like, is that a good measurement? Do we understand enough about ourselves? <laughs> yeah. Well, they, yeah. I mean, they talk about what and uncanny valley and those sorts of you know 
test that you can do to see whether or not you know whether or not you're talking to an AI. Um, and that's one place that I see um, see there being a market, right, is the recognition of is this an AI system or not? Or is this an AI-generated answer? Um, that's going to become fairly important very quickly when it comes to things like search engine optimization, right? Like SEO marketing strategies. Um, like you have just created a content generator for every like WordPress blog that's out there um, to give generic answers on basically anything that you want. So, um, I, and I know there's already research into this, right? Like, is this a chat GPT or is this a AI generated response or is it actually a human response? What are the markers around there? So we're starting to use AI and machine learning to recognize whether or not machine learning was involved in generating something, right? Like it's this chicken and egg problem that we're running into. Spy um, versus spy. Spy versus spy. Yes. Um, I do want to be cognizant of Frank's time. You've given us, you know, yeah. a, a good hour here. Um, but uh, Frank, any, any last minute thoughts around AI or, you know, anything else that we've talked about today before we go ahead and close up for, for the day or anything you just no, want to this- talk about in general? No, no, this was great. This was pretty fun. Um, I enjoyed the conversation. I think some of this stuff is like super fascinating and I like love talking with people. I think like that's one thing. Um, I think that's the benefit of like security becoming more popular. It's like there's just more people in the community to like talk through. And I think we'll like learn about a lot more stuff just like talking with people, which no, when the community was much smaller, it was just like, hey, it was like just a group. I'm sure you two know. It's like it was a small group of us. So it's like, this is great. Like, people have different thoughts and like there's a lot of ways to learn about this stuff and like i hopefully like it'll make security more and more interesting and important so um great i enjoyed talking with both of you this was fun yeah yeah it was good it was great having you on um that being uh that being said you know if people have questions and want to reach out to you um obviously we've posted your um uh your newsletter your blog the frankly speaking um, are there any other locations you can be at conferences or anything like that where people could meet up with you? Uh, not anytime soon, but I'm hoping this year to finally make it out to the typical ones like Black Hat or RSA. Um, so if people are around, always like hit me up, shoot me an email. Okay, great. All right. Uh, well, good. Uh, appreciate your thoughts on everything. And um, yeah, otherwise, uh, Ken, I think we can close it up for today. Um, I know we haven't solved any problems, but you know that, that's how it goes, right? Yeah, you know? it's fun to ponder. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you to the listeners as well. All right.